HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Item 13, an African food podcast, and I'm your host, Yom Akuaku. Every week, we'll delve into the delicious world of African food, including chefs, curators, and bloggers. Here's the show. Welcome to another edition of Item 13, and this week, I'm thrilled to have Inkem, who is the founder of ADAP a community and online destination for global Black food culture. Um, she's worked in management consulting, served as the chief of staff. Oh, I'm the chief of staff. We should talk about this. <laughs> Great role. About this <laughs> but uh, this, this, yeah, anyway, I think I knew that. <laughs> she's served as the chief of staff of a wellness tech startup, and I work for a wellness company too. Um, her professional mission, though, is to create equitable economies in which Black communities thrive. She holds a BS in chemical engineering from Yale University and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Um, welcome to the show, Inkem. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so let's start with your story. Um, what are some of your earliest memories of food, your connection with food, if you, if you take a look back? Oh, goodness. I, I feel like I've been obsessed with food since since I was a child. So, um, you know, a little about me. I'm Nigerian-American myself. I was born and raised here in New York. And I grew up in St. Albans, Queens, Southeast Queens, which is a predominantly Caribbean neighborhood, predominantly mm-hmm. Black neighborhood. Um, so growing up, the diaspora was always super obvious to me. You know, like what I was eating at home was very similar to what folks were bringing to church or, you know, my neighbors were eating. Um and I, I just always loved all the, deli- the delicious flavors that were happening and, and thought about how they were so similar. And I was also obsessed with Food Network. Like randomly as a oh. child, I was always <laughs> I was always watching, you know, like Rachel Ray. I love her to this day. Emerald Lagasse, you know, Guy Fieri, all these all these sort of Food Network stars. I really enjoyed watching as a young person, um, but was always confused as to why no one was really talking about 
the delicious things that I was eating in my home and in my community. Yeah, no, that's a great point. To this day, like when I watch the Food Network, I'm always, especially when they started doing more global Mm -hmm. food programming, I'm still disappointed that so far the only sort of big flagship Black food related thing was high on the hog, um, which is, but I just think that there's so much more that we, we can offer. And, and I'm sure that that's, you know, part of your mission with Ada and here's how you ended up in, in food as a job, as a vocation, as a calling, however you want to identify that and what sort of inspired you to, to start um, Ada. Yeah. So I think for me, you know, I grew up in a household where my parents are Nigerian immigrants, right? So we grew up in a household where everything was from scratch, you know, um, and people were always cooking. The food was the center of everything. So as a young person, I actually wanted to be a chef for a while. Oh. But, you know, again, as a, a child of immigrants, it was like, chef, mm, you better be an engineer <laughs> or a lawyer or a doctor or something. You know, if you want to cook, oh yeah, join me in the kitchen. We'll cook together, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, but I always kind of was very drawn to um, food and especially as I got older and kind of explored uh, different restaurants and learned about different chefs, really taken by the way that people were telling beautiful stories um, or just really creating art on plates. Um, and so with that kind of obsession still living within me a couple years ago while I was working full time at this startup, I decided why why don't I just start trying to build a brand right like why don't I just do this sort of side project about food um so I actually launched a da as a supper club so we were hosting pop-up dinners here in New York with with black chefs who I was like dming stalking on instagram Mm -hmm. cold emailing (laughs) um and we hosted a couple dinners here uh right before the pandemic and then once the pandemic happened um eventually shifted to doing some of these pop-ups as delivered experiences which was really fun um and then eventually companies actually began to reach out to us asking us to host events for their teams and then that kind of got the business side of my brain thinking about okay well maybe there's a bigger opportunity here outside of just you know me having an excuse to meet really cool chefs and and eat tasty things <laughs> Um, And then, you know, I I, I would say six to eight months later, we are where we are now building this community and really marketplace to to create space for black chefs and culinary creators to to grow their businesses. Oh, wait, this has only been it's not been a year even. Is that what is that what I heard? Yeah, well, the the Supper Club started in 2020. um, But this Ada Experiences, we actually just launched that about five weeks ago. So January of this year. Oh my goodness. Well, let's talk about that. The evolution <laughs> from supper club to experience. Actually, even before we go, we go there, just for those that may not be familiar, what does Ada mean? Um, and why yes. that name in terms of like your core mission? Totally. So um, I'm Igbo. That's my ethnicity. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, both of my parents are from the Igbo tribe in Nigeria. And um, in Igbo, Ada means first daughter. So oftentimes... So it's actually a name. There are people with the name Ada. But even if you don't have the Ada name, people, your family members might call you Ada because you're the first daughter in your family, you're the eldest daughter. Um, And in our culture, oftentimes the eldest daughter has a set of responsibilities around, you know, really being a 
a role model for your your siblings, for your younger cousins, even your older cousins and older siblings <laughs> to a certain degree. Um, and so when I started the Supper Club, I honestly didn't think too hard about the name. I was like, oh, what, what should this be called? I can't call it Nkem Supper Club. That feels a little, I don't know, it doesn't really hit. <laughs> Maybe yeah, that, that sounds a little bit nicer and, and you know, uh, a brand, like a brand that could build. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, often when I think about our mission, it really is around creating space for folks within our community, in our sort of family of Black food to be them best selves, right? To self-actualize, to to reach the potential that they see for themselves and their businesses. And as an Ada, as a first daughter, oftentimes what we are doing is creating space for our family and our, our cousins and all the, you know, our siblings to be their best selves too, um, so, so that's the background behind the name. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I'm also an Ada, so. Oh, so you understand the, <laughs> the beauty understand. and the, and the pain of being an Ada. <laughs> I very much relate. Yes. Um, yeah. So curious. I, I just kind of want to delve in, a little bit into like the difference and like I was saying that evolution from, from just doing a supper club. Um, and it, I like I actually learned the the, exp- the expression supper club or the term supper club um, when I was in the UK. Um, I, I think in the in the US I've heard people more use like pop ups and stuff. But either way, what like pushed you to evolve from that to exp- you know to to the current business model? I guess experiences. Yeah. And could you share a little bit in terms of like if people want to take part in it, like what does that look like, both from the consumer perspective and then also from the chef in terms of that the experience that they get out of um the platform I guess for lack of a better term yeah absolutely so so I, you know I love pop-ups I love supper clubs I think there's something really beautiful about an intimate communal dining experience um and so we started there right because that makes sense food is about connecting um in person but then if you think about it from the business side of things you know and I think many sort of experienced creators, can attest to this, it's a hard business, right? Yeah. In the same way that restaurants are hard businesses because of the high fixed costs and, and lower margins, pop-ups can be almost even worse because you're kind of, you're um, trying to make up your fixed costs in a shorter time period. Um, and especially being in New York where the rent is, the rent is too damn high. The rent okay? is too damn high. So... <laughs> Um, it can be really tough to to create a sustainable business model around um, like one off intimate dinner parties. Um, but I think what's beautiful about those is again that that communal experience that um, the intimacy is is certainly valuable. And so the transition to this marketplace model really allows us to be more scalable to have broader impact across more geographies and to enable other entrepreneurs to do what they're doing best, but just reach a bigger audience. Um, uh, and so that's kind of pushed us to, to think about what we're doing as less of uh, sort of a, an ad hoc event curation into more of a platform to enable other folks to, to curate these beautiful events and let them focus on what they do best, right? Making these events while we focus on driving demand, giving them clients, you know, building exposure and building an audience around them. Okay. So if a chef was interested in being part of your platform, like what is the experience like for them? How do you 
how well first of all how do you source them or if they approach you like what's the um what's in it for them i guess yeah, totally. So, so first of all, to join our platform is super easy. You can go to our website with a da.co um, and um, sign up. So hit sign up in the top right corner and you can straight up create a profile. So it's very similar to Airbnb or other marketplaces that it's super um, like user friendly, mm-hmm. right? And so as a host, you can create a profile and start thinking about what your experience would be. Right now we're offering virtual experiences. So think like a virtual cooking class Mm -hmm. or a um, cocktail making class you might host over Zoom. Um, And we're also offering in-person experiences right now focused on New York where we started, but certainly intend to expand outside of that very soon. (laughs) And so as a host, really what you get from us is this platform to help manage all the admin, right? So going back and forth with clients, trying to figure out what your um, menu will be, um, facilitating payment, all that admin. You don't have to worry about that because our platform deals with it. But I think even more important than that, it's it's the demand, right? So we are actively marketing to companies. We're selling to companies. We are doing partnerships with other brands to get um, get our platform in front of them and their HR teams as they're booking events. Um, And we're also creating content around our community of chefs and creators to help you grow your audience. So for each person that joins our our marketplace, we interview you to get to know your story, learn more about the experiences you're offering. We create an interview write-up about you, you know, social media posts about you. And then you're like a part of our community. So we're continuously engaging with you with different conversations. So for example, we recently were asking all of our uh, community members, like, what's the, what's the favorite song they love to cook to, <laughs> right? And so we got a bunch of responses and made a really fun social post about the best, you know, a playlist and a social post about some of the best songs to cook with to get you in the mood, you know? Um, so, so being a part of our, our marketplace will not only give you exposure um, and demand, but also the back admin to help you manage these experiences um, and community with other like-minded entrepreneurs. Yeah. I'm also just curious, do you do any sort of, because we're using the Airbnb analogy here, do you do any sort of background like verification? Does the yeah. chef meet your criteria in terms of like the mission that you have, you know, outside of being obviously um, Black, you know, from from either from the continent or in the diaspora, are there things that you're looking for as you think about curating this group of chefs that represent your platform too in, in, in some ways? Yeah, totally. So the actual sign-up process is that you create your um, your profile and your listing online, but we're always available for, for answering any questions during that process, by the way, particularly the listing creating process. Yeah. Um, and once you have an experience up, we'll have a conversation with you to get to know you bit more and understand what your experience is. And really what we're looking for are people who are experience centered, right? Curators of an experience. So folks who are charismatic, who have a creative way of thinking about and talking about the food or beverage that they're, that they're serving or helping people create, who can educate their clients about the history or the significance of whatever it is that their experience centers on. Um, we're looking for folks who are authentic, right? So if you're talking about something that is based on your own background or uh, a cuisine that you're just in love with, regardless of whether you're sort of culturally in that background or not. 
Um, and then, of course, for an experience, you know, we're, we're also looking for folks who are interactive, so who can make a virtual cooking class or a dinner party really fun for a group of like you know, 15 coworkers who are, are in this experience together. Awesome. And then uh, from a consumer perspective, it's pretty simple too, to just go on the website and, you know, pick an experience. Yeah, exactly. So you can go on our website, browse through the beautiful experiences that folks have. Um, you can filter, you know, based on your group size, your date, the type of experience you want, or even the type of hosts you want, right? So maybe it's Pride Month and you want to work with an entrepreneur who's a member of the LGBT plus community, right? You can you can find those folks on our on our marketplace. And really what we're doing is we're helping these people not only engage their teams and create inclusive workspaces where all employees feel seen, heard, and represented, but also helping companies really live by their values. You know, we saw in 2020, so many organizations make DI commitments. It's, you know, three years later, I think some companies are still trying to figure out how to actually put their money where their mouth is, right? How to make sure these commitments aren't just performative, but they're actually legit. And nowadays, employees are really holding companies' feet to the fire, right? It's like two years ago, you said you're going to do this, but I don't know what's happened. (laughs) So we're really making it easy for people, for organizations, for HR teams, for people managers, you know, for for office managers, chief of staffs, right? As you know, we're often pushed into doing things like creating events. We're making it easy for these companies to really um, live by their values, be authentic and celebrate blackness in a way that centers black joy and not black trauma, which I think too many companies focus on. Yeah, that that resonates with me, this idea of black. And just because I was remembering a conversation I had with someone about, um, we're having a conversation about Black History Month, actually, and why in classrooms, especially, that what is being shared with kids is like, oh, slavery and trauma and all this stuff. Right. that's not, you know, what did Chimamanda say? The danger of a single story, right? Like that's yeah. just not the only um, aspect of the Black experience um, globally. So Totally. And it's like, how often do you as a Black person sit down and think about, you know, right. <laughs> being hosed down by the police at 19? Like, yeah. no, I'm, t- I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about plantain. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Um, so I think this is a good point to take a break. And then when we come back, I want to chat a little bit more about like you working on, and I relate totally to this, you working on a data aspect. And si- I, I don't, I don't say side hassle to minimize it, but just to acknowledge that you also have a full-time job um, and then how you work around setting work boundaries and just being able to balance that um, while bringing, you know, to, to the market, a really strong, um, experience that people can, uh, rely on and engage with in a meaningful way. So we'll take a quick break and we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. 
HRN made its home inside of Roberto's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So we're back. Um, and really wanted now to focus in on sort of how you and and during the break you mentioned you you've transitioned working full time into running um a diet on a full time basis I guess you've transitioned from your your day job yes running <laughs> full time and so really wanting to talk about that transition um what it's been like <laughs> working for yourself <laughs> versus working for someone else um some of those lessons learned especially now um I guess in the current context of like a lot of tech layoffs people are looking to lean into their areas of interest either full-time or you know part-time on the side so it would be interesting to get your perspective in terms of your thought process how you transition how it's working out for you yeah um yeah, it's always a t- I think a scary transition to jump from something that feels more stable into entrepreneurship. Um, I think for me, I always had an inkling in the back of my mind that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I remember one of my professors from business school would always tell me, um, it's okay if you don't know the exact next step you want to take in your career, but if you have a general light, you know, like a North star guiding light of what you want your life to look like, not even the job that you want. Right. But what you actually want your life to look like, like, how are you spending your time? What impact are you making in your community and your family, et cetera? If you have some clarity around that vision, then every step you take should either get you closer to that or might pull you further away from that. And so for me, especially I was getting out of business school, I was like, okay, I have no idea exactly what I want to do, but I know that I want to do something that helps Black people and Black communities self-actualize, right? Like like live the lives that we want to live. Um, And in my opinion, I feel that entrepreneurship is one of the best ways, one of the most proven ways for individuals and communities to actually create those lives they want to live, right? And so it's like, okay, how can I be involved with my own Black entrepreneurial journey, but also facilitating that journey for other people? Um, And so I I went into consulting right after a business school because I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, what I want to do, and I have some loans to pay off, so let me do that, (laughs) right? Let me build up, because I think that's crucially important for entrepreneurship. Like, let's build up a financial sort of safe ground Mm -hmm. so that when the anxieties that are bound to come up when you're building a business come up, at least one of those isn't going to be, can I pay my rent, right? Let me actually just build this financial sort of base for myself. Um, And then after consulting, I joined this startup because I know I was like, okay, like I've been a consultant for all these years, but I actually have never worked properly in a 
you know, building a business from zero to 50 to 100. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you know, well, that chief of staff position is really helpful because you can see everything that's happening in the business. Right. Like the chief of staff is kind of like, I'm bad at sayings, but what's that saying that it's like the master of none, but you're involved with everything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't know idioms, but, <laughs> but you know, you, you just get such a great exposure across a business. Um, and I certainly did. And I loved my time um, at Care of, which is the startup that I was at. Uh, and I think the most important, one of the most important things that I learned that I got there was really the confidence to start my own business, right? And and I think that came from the realization that no one really knows, no one has the answers. We're all figuring out as we go, right? We'd be in brainstorms at Care of, like thinking about what to do, and and I was like, okay, like it's not like someone has a secret sauce somewhere. We're all trying to figure this out together. Yeah. And so if 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 we can do that as a startup team figuring out together, that why can't I do that, my, you know, myself with an idea that I feel passionate about with a community and a market, I think makes sense in the white space I think truly exists. You know, why can't I now try to do this? Um, and so that, that those, those years and as a chief of staff really gave me the confidence to go at it on my own. Um, I would also say, you know, I was kind of just tired of working for other people. <laughs> I was tired of working for other people, (laughs) you know, like I was like, you know, this is great and all, but I think I've learned enough lessons. Mm -hmm. I've, you know, I have enough case studies in my, and tools in my toolbox to be able to bet on myself and try this for myself. Cause the worst thing that could happen is that this fails and I get a job, Yeah, (laughs) you know, and I think having that um, perspective too has also been helpful. Right. And and you raised a great point. And I don't even think it's just with startups in that, like, so I've, you know, worked for a lot of mostly, I would say mostly big um, American corporations. And to your point, everybody's figuring it out, things out. It, it And I think that that's one of the, you know, main lessons that I've learned. And that's given me confidence to do other things outside of my day job and not feel it's like we're all sort of taking it till we make it in totally 100 <laughs> percent. and i think so, some of us are more comfortable with doing that right? right we maybe are more validated by society you know there's that saying come to every meeting with the confidence of a mediocre white man <laughs> you know and it's like and not trying to you know not trying to come for white men that's great i think that's great i think everyone should have that confidence regardless <laughs> of your skill level like confidence especially in entrepreneurship right. something that's sort of sales driven you know relationship building driven you can figure things out as you go but if you have confidence that will really take you take you far yeah i think um there was a when i lived in toronto uh, i think she was who was she vivian k i think she she's a super influential entrepreneur runs like a a hair business and some other stuff um I went to one of her events and basically she made the same point and saying it was basically said what would Chad do seriously (laughs) and that was her um basically (laughs) alluding to like there's a lot of mediocre you know folks out there who will go and do stuff with your chest and you will double double cross your T's and double dot your I's totally. uh, while they are like, you know. Crushing it. <laughs> exactly. So it's okay yeah. to second guess yourself and have a certain level of like, I don't know, everybody has their own level of risk conversion, if you will. But 
um, you just won't know until you dip your toes in the water until you get into the arena, right? And so, yeah. And I also feel like the best um, business leaders are the ones who understand what their strengths are and focus on those strengths, but they also know what their weaknesses are and delegate accordingly. So Chad could be a phenomenal salesperson and maybe terrible at like brand, right? right? But that's not going to stop Chad from starting a like consumer brand, (laughs) but it might stop somebody else who's like more of a perfectionist and think they need to actually do everything. But through the gag is we don't have to do everything and we shouldn't actually. (laughs) We should. And that's what I'm learning every day, like learning to outsource, learning to delegate, just making my life a little bit easier from that perspective. Um, And then you also referred to ADA as like a community-centered venture. And I thought that that was interesting. And I wanted to, to sort of dig in a little bit there and hear more about what that means for you and sort of how that affects your approach to entrepreneurship um, based mm-hmm. on just that context and perspective. Like wh- how is that different, I guess, from a different type of venture? Like what, what how would yeah. you um, elaborate on that, I guess? Yeah, you know, I think um, for me, as I was working and getting to know so, like chefs and culinary creators throughout the Supper Club journey, one common challenge I kept on hearing is this um, challenge with network, right? Folks might be phenomenal chefs and creatives, you know, maybe they went to culinary school, maybe they didn't go to culinary school and they're self-taught, Um And especially after the pandemic, they might have left a restaurant job and are kind of forced into entrepreneurship, but they don't necessarily have the business background to manage, you know, to really manage a full business, Um, nor do they have the network to to learn about these things. Um, And so when I think about community, I think about how can we leverage the information and knowledge that does exist within these spaces, but centralize them so that we can sort of uplift each other as we climb, you know? And for our community in particular, I think there's a clear need for more network, more connectivity, more knowledge sharing. Um, And so as we're building this marketplace, a key key, a key sort of central to what we're building is a a space and a destination for people to congregate, to share information, and to learn from one another. I love it. I love it. And I and I mentioned to you offline, but I feel like I should say here so that people know that it's coming, that I'm going to be hosting my first live podcast show <laughs> in New York City um, this spring. And um, this is music to my ears because like that's the approach that I also come at. You know, I've hosted events. So those who live in New York, I've hosted events in New York and D.C., um, even in London, I feel like a few years ago. And that's always been my approach just in making sure that um, whether it's the food that's served, you know, the people, uh, clearly the people on the panel, just all aspects of the event experience is managed by the community that's congregating there um, so that we're all um, invested and investing in each other in that way. So um, I'm excited to hear that perspective from you. Um before we transition to the rapid fire segment, uh, can you let us know where people can find you online, um, social media, your website? 
Yes. You can find us on Instagram at Ada Experiences, A-D-A-E-X-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E-S. <laughs> and you can find our marketplace online at www.withada.co. That's W-I-T-H-A-D-A dot C-O. Awesome. And I will include that in the show notes and when we post on social, so everybody will have the right link to get to all of those places. Um, rapid fire. <laughs> I'm watching it. <laughs> Um, who would you rather meet, your ancestors or your future descendants? My ancestors, please. They guide me every day. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is one ingredient you can't live without? I love plantain. Everything's about plantain. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and what is your favorite season? Summer. I'm a summer baby. My entire family is born in August. We're obsessed with ourselves. Leo's forever. Okay. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> intense. I know that's a little intense. <laughs> um, and then would you ha- rather have more money or more free time? Oh, wow. That's a good one. More free time. Yeah. Free time. And then the last one is, would you rather lose your sense of smell or taste? Oh my God. <gasps> <laughs> Because taste is like 80% smell or something like that, right? They are related, I know. (laughs) Oh, geez. Smell or taste, smell or taste. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with, oh gosh. I'm going to say, I'm going to say smell. I'm going to say smell. (laughs) I'm not confident, but fine answer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, such a great conversation. I feel like we made a connection that um, others will benefit from in real life after this. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad I was able to connect with you and share. Um, and I hope people jump on it, share with your friends, with your coworkers. Because um, I think the more that people see us experiencing joy, the more yes. that of changes. And that just there's just a knock-on effect on the impact in our community. So thank you for the work that you do. Item 13 is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.